should wait to come out, that you should uh, try to gain rank or status before you do that. That's a bunch of bull It's a new day in the music industry, and I can reach my fans. We're getting there. I've caused harm to the political agenda, and which I'm actually happy for. I would say probably the best message to them is that they're on the wrong side of history. Whether you're lesbian, gay, bi, transgender, or whatever, Love is love. Shout it out to the world. The Michelle Miao Show. Your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. And now here's your host, Michelle Miao. Hi, this is Sima Lieberman, the inclusionist on the Michelle Miao Show. And sometimes I host a show on the Michelle Miao Show, the, my inclusionist segment. But today, I've been talking about everyday conversations on race for everyday people. However, today is really not an everyday conversation. Joining me are my two guests. I have uh, Joel Brown, who is a good friend and colleague in diversity and cultural intelligence work. Plus, he's an internationally known spoken word artist. And my other guest is another good friend and colleague, Mercedes Martin, who's been involved in the last 25 years on issues of race, conflict, conflict facilitation, and bringing people together across all different backgrounds. So let me start with you, Joel. The events of this week show us that this is really not every day, or maybe it is every day. What do you think? Yeah, it's definitely not every day. Uh, I went to the University of Virginia for grad school and didn't know that there was a rally planned and have made a general commitment to try to avoid the news as much as possible. And I turned on the news on Saturday and it was like watching footage from the 60s. So it was kind of surreal and you saw people being interviewed and then for whatever reason being pulled off camera due to the violence and the activity that was swirling around. So it, um, yeah, it, was, it was just very strange and chaotic time that we're living in right now. And, you know, we'll talk a little bit later about what I think this really is about, but um, there, there's no way to really describe this feeling now. This is something that I haven't really felt before in the years I've lived here in the United States. And I need to, and I need to make the point too, Joel. You were not alive in the '60s. I was not alive in the '60s, no. And so, for you, what was it like? Because many of us have seen these type of people. We've seen these type of of actions. We still are shocked, angry. But for somebody like you, who actually lived in Virginia, you went to the University of Virginia where the march was being held. But what was it like for you as a younger person? This isn't the first time I've seen white supremacists demonstrate. It isn't the first time I've seen KKK activity or KKK-related activity. I think the general feeling, though, I got was we're now on the powder keg. We've gone from being split or there being polarization now to being an activation of something much different. 
And it was something that I thought we had moved past, at least to this degree. But I see us regressing. And I worry that if we don't get this under control, it's going to become really dangerous. Mercedes, let me let, let me get to you because you weren't born in this country. You're born in Cuba. And so you weren't here in the 50s and 60s. What is it like for you to see this? Yeah, for, thanks, Emma. Um, for me, like, you know, there's the uh, emotional response. Um, and the emotional is, is, is despair, is, is grief. And someone that's been working on these issues for a significant number of years and, and came to it not, not so much from the historical, but more about refugee experience of being black and Latina in the U.S. and where do I fit? Um, I feel really confused and frustrated this morning. And one one angle is um, is the emotional response of, of really seeing the aftermath of history, right? Um, the civil war ended so many years ago and hundred something years ago, and and here we are. Uh, but at the same time, and and I'm holding the contradiction. There's a sense of almost relief that it's coming out this late into the open. Uh, someone who's been involved in the race conversation, both as a social justice conversation as well as a corporate diversity discussion, I think that what this week events have done, it's really removed the band-aid, it's really removed how we dance around the issues, whether it's a conversation or not, and the assumptions that we make on who's on board and who's not. And like you all, I believe that this is an opportunity to, um, you know, really go at it in a very direct and, and in, you know, in a different manner. Uh, and if we don't do so, uh, we'll continue to see the danger and, and really the, the danger to humanity that this kind of hate um, continues to bring. So I would say that it's both the emotional piece as well as the hope that this is a wake-up call for all of us. To those people that, that are listening in that may not know us, all three of us have been involved for a long time in corporate work. My background originally years ago was in social justice, and then I got involved in diversity and inclusion as for the business and for, and for uh, working in corporations. And I know for me, I've been having a hard time with, some, with boundaries or, or crossing lines or, or what does this have to do with business, but it's been very difficult for me, particularly as a Jewish person, when I hear the things that people are screaming, and I know that the reason that I do my work is to be able to create a better world, better organizations, better communities. And I try to be as objective as possible in my work, but I have to say, I'm having a really hard time with being objective. And I don't think that there really is any, any being objective, because it's not like there's a lot of sides in this situation. What do you think, Joel? You know, it's interesting. I, you, you think about the, the incident, the alleged incident that prompted the, the riot and the uh, protests in Charlottesville. 
on one hand, you're hearing that, well, people were upset because Robert E. Lee's statue was going to be removed. And I have no problem with monuments. I have no problem with peaceful demonstration. But I think we have to actually see what took place, where the Friday before the melee, if you want to call it that, there was a peaceful demonstration. There were a lot of clergy in Charlottesville. They were having a rally in a church, and they were surrounded by a mob with uh, torches and all sorts of other um, military gear. Some people had guns, because Virginia, to my understanding, is a uh, open carry state. And people inside the church were concerned about their safety, whether they should leave. Many of them didn't leave because they were advised not to. And then some were told that if they did leave, they could be subjected to some serious bodily harm. And, you know, from my standpoint, I don't, if it were just a protest of a monument or just the removal of the monument, I could see that. But then again, Robert E. Lee was not just uh, some figure who had a different political persuasion or opinion. Uh, by technical definition, he could, be a, could have been deemed a traitor. Uh, he led a, an insurrection, to put it mildly, against the United States government. He symbolizes a system that is based on, in part, white supremacy and subjugation of African peoples, at the very least. And why that is still a discussion in 2017 is beyond me. What's your perspective, Mercedes? Yeah, I, I, I agree. And, you know, unfortunately, events like this force us to go back to the history books and, and look at history from the different perspectives, right? I think that a lot of what we're seeing is that there's a fear that history gets retold by those who, from the winner's angle, right? And, and this is a historical pivotal moment where the South has never conceded that that has been the case. I, I think that dissecting the, the issue and ending up talking about who owns slave or not um, is, again, part of the dumbing of America that's been going on for a while. And I, I just highlight one particular topic that might not necessarily address all of what needs to be addressed, and, and that's what I'm fixated, and that's what I'm, I'm hearing with this. I, I think that, you know, this is something that's been there. Um, we, we're just seeing a response to waking up a bear. Um, and the only thing is that in the past, from my perspective, these issues of perspective have been tampered by a diplomacy um, or even a, a government that um, portrays a balanced perspective. And now, again, that's been removed. Um, I think that until my perspective is that in, until as a nation, we're able to have a very honest uh, conversation on, on race that you know, the, the term that I've been using with some of the um, dialogues that Simma, you and I have been uh, leading, Sobremesa, uh, which uh, is a Spanish term for that that period right after a big meal where folks just kind of hang around the table and, 
and talk and they're able to bring up their own perspective until we're able to, you know, have more of those and, and really address in a more direct and honest way the issues around uh, race in this country, we will continue. Uh, it, will, it will just continue to, to get worse. An example I, I have on what I mean is misaligned perspective or, or even language. I, um, I was working with a huge client um, corporation, and I'll never forget I was working with them on their diversity and inclusion strategy, and I always bring the topic of the difference between race and ethnicity, and, you know, they're, they're completely different, and I... I recall my boss at the time asking me to not use the word race as part of a diversity initiative, that that was very uncomfortable, um, especially for, for senior leaders, the white males in the organization. So I, I feel that up to now, and myself included, we have colluded in making the conversation politically correct and dancing around it based on who has the power in our organizations or in society. And um, I feel that that has led to a lot of the separation uh, or the misperception or even this feels like we're in different islands on the conversation left and right. Uh, And then the last thing I want to say is, and I I also hear um, on the other side of my brothers and sisters talking about that it has been our perspective, the liberal perspective it has pushed and created where we're at um, right now. So I, I am struggling, and, and I struggle because I know that, and I said this in a, in a meeting the other day, and, and people you know, were really upset at me, but there's a Donald Trump in all of us, and I just want to make sure that I really look at it and don't dig my heels on my end. And, and are able to really reach across. Um, that's how I've been living. What this event has left me feeling is, uh, I don't know if I can reach across. <laughs> We're so far, this vacuum be- between us is so big. So that's a little bit more on emotionally how I'm feeling. Thank you. And I think, uh, oh, Joel, you wanted to say something. Let me let me get let me get Brother Joel in here, and then I, I want to say something after Joel. Well, I, I think the thing, really that, the, the thing that annoyed me, frankly, uh, this weekend, I got a lot of phone calls and texts from people about what was happening in Charlottesville, and I, I think once again we have to properly frame what's happening, and that goes to what Mercedes was saying. To me, we're talking about a white supremacy complex that has never been fully dealt with. And we can say it's yeah. the University of Virginia, which it wasn't. We can say it happened in Charlottesville, which it did in part. But we yeah. have to got we have to expand the conversation and really talk about what's really happening. This isn't about forty five. This isn't about UVA or Charlottesville or the South or white nationalists. When you say, for example, Mercedes, that you know they're, you know, people are trying to rewrite history. I think really what's happening is people feel like their country is being lost. And mm-hmm. that was what happened with Barack Obama. Now, I don't think there's any danger in a country being lost, but the optics weren't good. And so if you're shallow, if you have a shallow perspective, you say, well, the, the president is African-American, LGBTQ people now getting married, the illusion of Mexicans running across the border, it makes people very, very uncomfortable. And so then they're thinking, mm-hmm. 
wow, my country is being taken over. There's this liberal agenda. And I do think, you know, to be fair on the left, I, I do think we need to be careful about some of our positions. But at the same time, uh, I, I think when I talk to my friends overseas and they say, oh, this is really funny and crazy and cute, I say, you're, you're basically seeing us go through a civil war. And I think we need to start yeah. understanding what's really taking place. Yeah. Yeah. That's been brewing. I, I agree with you. Um, and, and just one more thing, Joe, and I, I know somebody, um, just quick. Yeah, the whole rewriting of history, I'm not necessarily advocating it, um, but also listening how Germany has dealt with the same issues with the Nazi, you know, post-Nazi um, statues not being allowed and, and whatnot. It's, it's just been interesting to uh, really be more aware of how then the U.S. has been a very, we've taken it in a very different um, direction. And I definitely agree with you. Let's not make this about Virginia. This is, uh, this is happening in Berkeley, California. This is happening in, in um, all of our major cities. This is a national um, piece. Tim and I are working on uh, some research on how sustainability, the sustainability movement and how we look at sustainability and what's the role of race and diversity. And my interest in that is similar to, you know, this conversation here, that it's another movement, well-meaning, um, but we lose track of the impact of race, uh, identity, uh, and a lot of what we do and the systemic change that we want to bring about. How do we make sure that that doesn't continue to happen? All right. We, now, um, it's, we have to stop for a break, and we'll be back in a minute. The Commonwealth Club of California is the nation's leading public forum engaged with the most important issues of the day. More than 450 times each year, we feature programs on politics, LGBT issues, literature, science, entertainment, and more. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and Google Play, watch our videos on YouTube and Facebook, and when you're in the Bay Area, join us in person for our daily programs. Learn more about the club at commonwealthclub.org. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? <laughs> Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side as a unified team of the best fertility specialists guided by the highest ethical standards Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. 
for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on on Facebook. Like us at facebook.com forward slash progressive voices. On the Progressive Voices Facebook page, we update the stories that our hosts like Tom Hartman, Stephanie Miller, Bill Press, and Leslie Marshall will be talking about during their shows. And we share great news, commentaries, opinion pieces, and videos from all over the progressive world. Always progressive, always on. Be part of the progressive conversation. Like us at facebook.com forward slash progressive voices. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Hi, this is Sima Lieberman, the inclusionist again on the Michelle Meow Show. And today we're talking about race, racism, situation in Charlottesville. And I want to switch over for a minute to talk about some of the rhetoric. You know, I'm hearing a lot of people say things like, Oh, we have to have unity. Oh, we have to have healing. Now, when I think about healing, I think about you had something that was whole, something was well. Then maybe there was an injury and you had a wound. So you put some things in the wound to make it heal and make people make it come together. We were never healed. And they talk about unity. Unity amongst who? I think even Trump and some of his surrogates, whoever they are, start saying, well, we're all going to come together. Come together for what? Who's coming together? I want to come together with other people who are against racism, against Nazism, against fascism. I don't see me coming together and have unity with people who are Nazis. It's not like I'm going to sit down and say, hey, what do we have in common? I'm Jewish. You hate Jews. Hey, let's find some middle, middle ground here. What do you think about this rhetoric? You know, my concern is less with the extremists um, and more with the moderates. Yeah, yeah, because they're the ones who are, who are right. using this language. I mean, you know, the, the people who, for example, in the White House this morning, there was a report that the staff was appalled. They were horrified that these comments <laughs> came out. When, and, and just listen to the language. They, they were afraid or horrified because it came out, not because it was said, not because it was thought. Yeah. I'm more concerned about the people who blindly, for example, right after 45 was elected, and there was a town hall, I think, in some place in, in the Midwest, Kenosha, Wisconsin, someplace, and there was a question about the racism that was being peddled during the election, and a couple of people said from the audience, well, it was just, you know, he didn't mean it. Yeah, he didn't mean it. He didn't mean it. It was just that mild type of racism. It wasn't that hardcore racism. It was that, that soft racism that is cute and funny and, you know, doesn't... Uh, doesn't hurt people too bad, doesn't burn crosses, but, you know, still discriminates against people and leads to inequitable treatment. So that's, that's where I'm concerned. I'm also concerned with the, the liberals who, you know, have said, well, I just want to understand their perspective. I want to understand where they're coming from. If they're racist, I want to uh, understand why they're racist or they're sexist. And I'm not feeling that. I'm not. I, I understand racism very well. I understand sexism to an extent, and as a man, I need to do more work around that. But I'm not going to ask a woman to come and talk to some, or suggest that a woman talk to some sexist man about their behavior. I I think we need to be honest about what the issue is. And to go back to what you said before, Simone, about healing, we need to grow. This country hasn't grown, and we need to evolve. And I I fear that if we don't evolve, then uh, there are going to be some pretty troubled days ahead for us. Well, I mean, and I, I look at some of the people, you know, they say get woke. Well, I've been woke. You've been woke. Mercedes, we've been woke. But then there are a whole lot of people that are woke to I don't know what. Because 
while people were screaming and yelling about Kim Kardashian having a photo shoot where they thought that she was too tan and said that maybe she was in blackface because she was too dark. You know what? These people are organizing. Let's get real here. Let's stop worrying about Kim Kardashian and, and her photo, photo albums or whatever she's doing. We need to start worrying about our, our we, we need to start worrying about our ability to survive and thrive. As a society, yeah, I, and when I think about unity, I think about everybody who is against racism, everybody who is against anti-Semitism. I think about people who are together really for love of each other and, and people. That's who I want to have unity with. Mercedes, what, do you, what, what are you thinking about this? Well, I, I, I agree, and I'm, I, I agree with Joe. I think that, for me, the, the salvation of humanity is uh, finding that that middle ground, finding those folks that are appalled, uh, lots of people from all races and, and background, uh, and and then how do we connect? How do we? I, I do see that that to be the the, the immediate next step. It, it brings me back to you know my triage, um, combat trauma nurse days. On what's the first thing that you do? Well, you know, in this case, first put a mask on. As they tell you on a plane, because a lot of us are um, emotionally, the frustration, the anger, the grief, uh, especially if you've been doing this work and, and belief in the humanity. And the young woman who um, who died, I was listening to her mom's you know, video and you know how they, they lifted, they lifted her work. So first take care of your, uh, and then come back for the folks that are going to be the the ones that are, are questioning and you can bring to the side. I, I don't think that right now exerting or putting more energy uh, in the extremists that, you know, that we saw um, would be the, the best or, or the best use of our, our time and energy. And the reality is that those that are questioning and are woke or continue to waking up, because I think the woke, the woke is, is something that, continuously needs to happen, this is an opportunity for us to, you know, really reach out and, and, and to see this is what we've been talking about. Um, I, too, I'm tired of, you know, what I call the dog and pony show, sitting up in a panel and talking about how bad it is for people of color. Uh, I think that this experience and what we continue to hear, especially uh, since 45, I like that, <laughs> Joe, um, took office. Uh, I'm I'm finding it a less inclined or desire to uh, continue telling the story because now you have enough evidence and there's enough I feel um, opportunities for conversation to show the you know this right perspective that um, that's really impacting our nation and all of us. And you know, and we both, but all three of us in the work that we do, I and mean, we've done a lot of work, all of us in terms of sitting down with people from different cultures and different races who may mean well, but there's things that they don't understand. We have had some amazing ahas. So I don't think, I think we need to be able to gather with the people who do support us, who are against injustice, who want people to feel included, and maybe they may not know how, but we've seen that we have the ability 
to bring people who just don't understand. Yeah, am I right I'm, or am I wrong? No, you're you're totally right, and that's one of the things that that um, that's what I meant, and and that's what's coming up. Where you know, I, I got to be honest. I when I do have a lot of folks that are questioning and want to understand, and have been around and have come through the sobre mesas, and I appreciate the interest of having these real conversations around race and creating great places. Um, However, I, I have to be honest, I do get frustrated when I'm feeling that we're going to go deep in this conversation because, you know, folks that woke, I don't say it right. Um, my daughter's always correcting us. I'm woke, I'm woke up, or help me, Joe. <laughs> like, um, people that are, are woke, um, stay woke. And then someone in that same group will ask, and, but what do we call you? Are you black? Are you African-American? I'm like, shit. Sorry. Here we go back to kindergarten conversation. And I have to say that with these events, I'm probably going to be a little bit more patient with that individual than I've been in the past. Because uh, at least they're sitting at the table and they're having the conversation, uh, regardless of how we're coming into the discussion. Joe, I, I jumped in there. You were going to say something. No, no. What you said, I, I think what you said is really crucial. Joe wanted to say something now. Go ahead, Joe. No, what I, I, I totally agree. It's on my good days, and I'm going to stress it on my good days. Uh, <laughs> I'm all the day about you meditated having and... diversity grace. And I understand that sometimes people are not going to be particularly artful or articulate. And I'm okay with having those conversations. My concern with... Uh, people on the left sometimes is that we do not see we're, there's a lot of cannibalization going on right now mm-hmm. yeah and yeah. my other concern is that we're turning social justice into sloganeering mm-hmm. and yeah. social media yeah. uh, machinations so who can post this and you know who can get their picture yeah. on Instagram and, double amen to you because right. I agree and that's fine I'm, I'm glad that you know people can see that there are other people out there who are connected and doing things. On my worst days, however, what I want people to do is to learn history. Mm-hmm. I want people to talk to people who are different. Yeah. I want people to do their own work. So if you're white, I want you to do your work. If you're a man, I want you to do your work. If you're heterosexual, I want you to do your work. And I will support you in doing that, but I'm not going to do it for you. And where I, 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 I really someday, where I've been frustrated lately, though, is because we really, I feel like we're still having the same conversation and we're not advancing. And you have people who don't want to talk about their fear because really well, that's what's motivating a lot of this is, is fear. Yeah. It's fear of the country, the direction I don't have. I mean, all that talk about jobs and whatnot, that's a smokescreen for what's really going on for people. And I think also helping people to understand that if you see re- racism and you dismiss it, that is supporting racism. If you, um, if someone says something or you support a candidate and they're saying these things and you just say, well, you know, they're just joking, that is part of racism. And so, but I, I really think Mercedes' first point was uh, a good one that before we talk with other people, we need to do our own work. I know in the days after November 8th, the last thing I wanted to do and the last thing I know I should have done was to have conversations with people because I hadn't done my own work. And I think all of mm-hmm. us need to you know, stop saying how woke we are 
and you know start you know taking a, a hard look at ourselves and saying, well, how do I need to grow? How do I need to process this? And how can I do this more effectively? Yeah, and and Joe, the when you say the work, I I love you know I love what you're saying. I I totally agree. But like for me, the results of the election, which is also the whole need for the Soto Mesa, is this realization that I was living in my own echo chamber. Um, I was doing the work, but people with people that thought like me. And I have to say, moving, living between um, the Bay Area and Miami, um, especially going through the election, uh, gave me a different perspective, right? It brought me out of the Bay Area bubble and the realization of how others uh, across the nation think, in particular um, the Miami complexity. But when, if I focus on the white issue, which is, which is what this weekend's event has done, it's really highlighted the black and white conversation in the U.S. A lot of times what I find is you have well-meaning, well-educated, well-studied white folks, and when they do come to these conversations, the response then is, where can I find more to learn from people like you? And my response is, I need you to go back to the white folks. I need you to go back to your folks and have these conversations. Um, in light of that, I, I have to say, and I haven't watched the, the detail on the, on the news, uh, seeing so many predominantly white people in Virginia um, the anti-racist demonstration, that was a, in, in a big despair. That was a small stroke of hope. If I'm watch, if I'm you know watching what I'm seeing and not what I want to see, because uh, I feel that at the end of the day, this needs to be both a mixed conversation, a collective conversation, as well as conversations that we're having with our own group. And the left also, we need to have these conversations and our perspectives and and you know how are we positioning. Thank you, thank you for that. And we're going to continue after we're going to continue after the break. The Commonwealth Club is a unique organization that brings together people from a variety of backgrounds to explore important issues as a community. Sooner or later, everyone worth hearing comes to our stage. From Marga Gomez to Richard Chamberlain, from James Hormel to Kate Kendall, leading thinkers, activists, politicians, and artists have come to the Commonwealth Club of California. Ted Olson and David Boyes came here to discuss their winning legal strategy for same-sex marriage. Jason Collins talked about gay athletes. The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence discussed activism and good works. Actor and director Rob Reiner explained how he got Hollywood behind same-sex marriage. Barney Frank described what it's like to be gay at the highest levels of Washington. From healthcare reform to transgender rights, from immigration to gay-owned businesses, it's all at the Commonwealth Club. And that's still just a portion of the 450 programs we present every single year, with new programming nearly every single day. Be a part of the conversation. Learn more at commonwealthclub.org, download our free app in iTunes, and join us in person the next time you're in San Francisco. The Commonwealth Club of California puts you face-to-face -face with today's thought leaders. Babe, I think we're ready. 
We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? <laughs> Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side as a unified team of the best fertility specialists guided by the highest ethical standards Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Hi, this is Sima Lieberman, the inclusionist again on the Michelle Meow Show. And today we're talking about race, racism, uh, Charlottesville, and other related topics. And uh, earlier we were talking about about race, racism, role of white people, role of people of color. And I, I just want to say as a white person that if anybody has any questions, please feel free to contact me at any time because I feel one of my responsibilities is to be able to talk to everybody and to bring people together and also to talk to other white people. Now, I don't think that white people should just be talking to other white people because then you only get a white perspective. But... What I will do, though, is that I, that I think a lot of my responsibility is to try to win people over. A good friend many years ago, like 30 years ago, said to me, he was, he was an African-American man, and we were talking about civil rights and, and we were talking about discrimination and how people should respond because at the time I used to be dogmatic. I was one of those people that I'm against right now, people who scream and yell and tell everybody that they're wrong. And what he said to me was, he said, we can't afford to throw people away. We can't afford to lose people. He said, imagine if, imagine if you were a slave running away from the plantation or a Jewish person during Nazi Germany running away, trying to escape the Nazis, what would you do? Who would you be looking for? He said, you would want to neutralize people. At the very least, you would want to neutralize them so that they didn't turn you in. And at the best, you would want to win them over to your side. So were you talking about cannibalizing? And I think that that's really important. And I want everybody to think that way. This is serious. We can't afford to throw people away. We need, to bring, we need to bring people to at least neutralize people. If people have questions, if we know that somebody is just confused, we need to talk with them because we don't want them to end up marching and being one of the Nazis. We don't want them to be, to be able to, to turn us in uh, or turn against us. We do not want to be able to push people over to the Nazi side, which some people think that we could afford to do. I don't think we can. I think this is too serious. Joel, you have a point you wanted to make. I totally agreed with Mercedes' point that uh, there's times for people to have intra-communal conversations, and that's what I meant by doing the work. There, there's some things that, frankly, as a man, I had to talk to other men about. When the whole Bill Cosby thing was taking place, for example, there were a number of guys I talked to who said, oh, they're just making this up. And I said, well, after the 1,000th woman, uh, <laughs> then no, uh, I don't think that it's – uh, a made-up story. There's a real issue there, and I had to contextualize it for them in the way that we talk about uh, law enforcement and police brutality against African Americans. I think that, you know, where I, where I hope we go is we start talking about, well, what do we do next? Because, you know, I don't like waking up and feeling like I'm under siege. I don't like feeling like I'm a man without a country. 
I don't like feeling as though things are hopeless. That's just not my nature. I do see this as a good thing because, once again, like Mercedes said, there were so many conversations taking place, especially during the prior eight years, that we were a post-racial society. Things <laughs> were fine. Everything's been resolved. And it was just milk and honey flowing through the streets. And I'm glad it has come out. The question is, what are we going to do now? And I realize that I have limitations. I'm not perhaps the best person to talk to the white nationalists in Charlottesville. But maybe I can talk to the person who will talk to the person who will talk to the white nationalists in Charlottesville. Someone may see that, um, may not be able to talk to me about issues that uh, I think I'm good on, but I still need to work on. But maybe someone else can. So I think we we underestimate the importance of relationship and we underestimate the importance of story. And I think we need to get more stories out there and perspectives and realize that every opportunity we speak with friends and family is an opportunity for us to change the narrative and to really talk about this in a critical way. Thank you. And Michelle Meow wants to say something. I do want to say something, and I'm here. I'm here, everyone. Uh, thanks for tuning in to Progressive Voices. I super, super enjoy Sima the Inclusionist for having space to have this discussion here on the show. It's very important that you know our own party, our own community needs to do the work. But I want to chime in on this, this conversation of doing the work and get specific. I think that when we talk about like our own uh, internalized racism or our own complicity in racism, um, ways to build community or ways to talk about it and dialogue are one thing. But another thing that we really need to get real on is the fact that even in, in a post-racial society, you know, the legislation, the laws, the systems in which a capitalistic society has been built upon has never changed. We don't talk about racism and mass incarceration in the same sentence, and we should be. We need to be talking more realistically about the fact that police brutality and oppressed communities go hand in hand, and we need to start changing those policies, legislation. And I would argue that, you know, for people who sit there and say they're allies, and what should we do? And they're sitting there, you know, dumbfounded. What do we do now? This this new phenomenon, Donald Trump, and everybody else is like, well, we've been living in these times. What are you supposed to do? I mean, are you actually ready to give up the uh, the uh, political seats? Are you ready to vote for a person of color? Are you ready to call out voter suppression? Are you are you ready to vote on legislation that frees black bodies and black lives? Are you ready to go up against you know law enforcement and authority uh, ICE as far as immigration? I mean, these are the questions that we really I feel we should be talking about and asking if we're, we're really, really, really serious about breaking down racism in this country. Those are the things that I think we need to be talking about and that we need to be changing. Mercedes? Just, uh, I just wanted to thank you, Michelle. I, um, I love your point, especially the policy, and it's, it's also uh, my passion and the angle of looking at, you know, the green sustainability with the browning of the U.S. and people coming up to me and saying, I don't see the connection. So totally, totally agree. I just want to come back to that work again, and because I want to be clear, I feel that it came from the two people of color, um, and there's this perception that people are angry, people of color are angry, so I'm scared to ask the question. And, and then that just perpetuates, right, the whole stereotype and the bias and whatnot. 
when I'm asking you to do the work, it's, I'm asking you to do it in two different places. I, I'm, it's not that one answer pathway or the cookbook of if I have this issue, if I know how to, what to call him, Latino, Hispanic, Black, then everything else is, is okay. I want you to do, be brave and I invite you to do the work with your own race as well as in the mixed company. I think that that's where the real happening, uh, the real learning takes place. I feel that that's where those narratives, the stories that Joel talks about come into play. I think that that's where you find people similar like yourself, with strong allies, very clear on, on, on issues. But let's be very, very careful on who's saying um, go do your work and how it can be misinterpreted because that's already the narrative out there. If I, as a, you know, the Latina, expressive, black, tell you go do the work, she's angry, and now I don't have any place to go. I think we also need to um, deconstruct what that's all about. You know, I just want to say something. I know, I know we use the word ally a lot. Uh, I have to say, overall, I'm really not an ally. And when I think about allies, but we, I mean, I, I, let me, I have to say it in a different way. I don't want people to think that I'm saying, oh, I don't support, I'm not an ally. I feel that we need to go, I think being an, everybody needs to be an ally, and we need to go one step beyond. We need to go beyond what we see it as our survival. That we see the survival of one is the survival of all. And of course, uh, we are impacted differently based on how we look and who we are in the world. But at the same time, we have to see that it's an our own interest, that we don't have a choice. And in this particular situation, we look at Charlottesville, you know, a whole, as, as a Jewish person, a lot of Jewish people are saying, well, you know, why is it that not a lot of people are talking about the anti-Semitic stuff that they, that they were screaming? Because that was really scary. And one of the main people who talked about, who, 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 who came out in support was, I think, how do you pronounce that? Linda Sarsow. I think she's Palestinian. She's, um, from, she's, she's an activist. And she has been at the forefront of including Jewish people in this whole discussion because this, what's going on now, impacts so many of us. It may impact us in different ways, but I think that I'm calling on everybody, every single person, if you do not like what's happening right now, if you do not like the statements that Trump has made, if you do not like Nazis, uh, Ku Klux Klan people marching on your cities, you have to see it as though they are marching on you, whether you're white, Christian, straight gay, everybody has to see us that this is an attack on us. And when we, I talk about unity, that's what I'm talking about. Michelle, you wanted to say something. Well, I just wanted to clarify. I mean, I'm very much a person of color. Um, I'm, I'm Southeast Asian. And so in a lot of ways, we have parallel experiences as refugees to this country. My parents were refugees and I'm a second generation immigrant. And so, you know, uh, as far as like poverty and economic inequity, 
you know, those are just uh, some root characteristics of this racist country. And that's what I'm talking about as far as like, you know, uh, doing some of the work. And by no means am I standing here or sitting here as I'm producing the show, asking people to like do one thing or, or another. And even to a Jewish activist yesterday, you know, who we were having a passionate conversation of whether to show up at Chrissy Fields to this Patriot uh, prayership event um, that's happening that the National Parks and Service has granted them a permit, but the city's hands are tied. It's not like we can just say, no, you can't come. So they're another alternative right group. Um, you know, they, she felt very strongly about the fact that there were certain people of color activists in the queer community who said we shouldn't show up to protest because that's just not going to do anything. So for her, she felt passionate about, you know, uh, giving the Jewish dialogue. And in my opinion, none of us should be telling any of us how to react, how to to be active um, and how you like you said, Sima, you know, how it impacts you is clearly it's it's your personal experience. But when we're talking, you know, as far as like racism and what what we're supposed to do, if we're actually going to do the work, I, I feel very strongly about, you know, getting people uh, out there to vote, eradicating the laws, the discriminatory laws that prevent people to actually vote, which I think that's how this election was also stolen, aside from uh, alleged foreign uh, relations, but y- y- you got to talk about stuff like voter suppression, what's happening in the South. You've got to talk about politicians and why after how many freaking years as, as America is 247 years old, and yet, what, how, 70%, 80% of the uh, political leadership are still old white men? I, I mean, you know, we're still talking about gender inequity after how many years that this country has been around. We're still talking about racial inequity and inequity. And until we address the in economic inequities, you know, we're, we're really not going to get that far as far as racism. It's like people keep saying, oh, in 2017, why are we still talking about race? It's 2017. We're still talking about it because we've been living in a white supremacist system for all these years, even after the civil rights movement. I'll end there. And I want to say, I just want to say, um, and I'm, I'm going to let Joel make his point, is that here these people are planning all of these marches through our towns, through our neighborhoods. And I think about the fear of black people in their homes and Ku Klux Klan people marching through their home, marching through their neighborhoods, breaking windows, pulling people out of their homes, lynching people, beating people up, leaving them dead, burning down their houses. And that's what I think when I think about this so-called good people, who Trump says are good people, last week. And I think about during Kristallnacht in Germany. And for those who don't know what Kristallnacht is, that's when it was one special night, it happened all the time, when the Nazis came through all the Jewish neighborhoods and all the Jewish businesses. They broke the windows. They, they took people out of their house. They burnt down their houses. They burnt down their stores. They burned people alive. And when I hear what's going on in this country, I can hear the glass breaking. What scares me, I mean, that's, I, I'm, I'm with you on that. What scares me is the fact that in the U.S. we still don't have federal workplace protections for LGBTQ people. What scares me is that if you are uh, Latino or Hispanic, uh, you can still be rounded up by ICE and asked to show identification. 
what scares me is that if I am black, that's probable cause to get shot. Mm-hmm. What scares me is that um, the president can sexually harass and assault women and basically get a pass. So this is what, this is where I want to focus at least for myself on how I try to do the work and what I think might be helpful because there's so much work out there that frankly needs to be done that I think the first thing that happens is people get paralyzed because they think, where do I start? And I think having a general overview of the issues is good, but also dedicating and committing oneself to something. You know, the issue that I'm particularly concerned about or the one that I'm particularly invested in is voter suppression, mm-hmm. and that's happening. Um, I'm also concerned about environmental justice. I think it's also helpful to understand and to share your story, and a lot of us don't understand and know our story, and then we have to understand the collective story. I think there's also an opportunity for people to understand what triggers you and to know that if you are going to be, your buttons are going to be pushed, then uh, stage right, leave the conversation mm-hmm. until you can effectively deal with it. I would also say, too, it's important to deconstruct language. When you're watching the news and when someone says, I'm not being racist, I'm not being sexist, ask them what that means. Get that out there in the open air, on the table, and then have a conversation where you can educate and say, well, this is what I mean, and find some uh, some congruence between those two ideas because a lot of times a person may say, well, I don't feel like I'm doing X, Y, and Z, and you've never really deconstructed what they actually mean. I think it's also important for all of us who feel under siege, frankly, just to take better care of ourselves and to find community and not insist on perfection because I hate to tell people out there, and especially people in diversity and inclusion, social justice, equity Mm -hmm. circles, intercultural areas, none of us has it all down. Mm-mm. None of us does it perfectly. None of us is a quote-unquote expert. You know, I hear this term thought leadership all the time, and, you know, some days I'm thinking a lot, and some days I don't know if I'm leading a lot, I, but at least I'm honest enough to have that conversation and to know that I still have to be in conversation with myself to understand what I don't know and to approach it with a sense of humility. I think a lot of what's happening, too, in the Western world is we want quick fixes We want things to be bite-sized and commercial length, and we don't understand that change takes a while. Now, that's not to discourage us from change, but that means we need to start now because I can tell you right now, I don't want to be 80 and having to deal with some of the stuff that's going on right now. I very well may have to deal with something. I'm a realist, but I'm also an optimist. we got to start dealing with some of this stuff as of today if we really want to make a difference and we want to have a better place, not just for our children, because I hear all that Disneyland stuff all the time, but for ourselves. Thank you, Joel. And uh, I want to say that right now, there's supposed to be a march in San Francisco, a Nazi Ku Klux Klan march in San Francisco and in Berkeley and other parts of, of, the, uh, of the country. And I'm wondering what you think we should do. In my opinion, here's what I think we should do. Maybe right, maybe wrong, I don't know. I think that people should just stand, go stand there and just dress up as clowns or just laugh at them and go about our life and just laugh at them and humiliate these people and trivialize them because what they're doing is they're purposely going to neighborhoods to incite. incite. And some people will let themselves get incited. But I think to trivialize them, like if you look at what some of these, the way some of these comedians are treating them, they are humiliating them, they're embarrassing them, they are 
drilling them down to like when I was a kid, we used to call it ranking. They are ranking them so low <laughs> that they would be playing. Boy, they would be swimming in my spit. And that's what I would like to see more, more happening. Let them know they are too low. So, Mercedes? Yeah, I, you know, I, I got to say, I, I hear that and, and, you know, having done a lot of work with um, my colleague, uh, Liz Gusfish, on how the brain plays out in all of this and the empathy, and um, I know I'm not there yet to laugh at it. Um, too much cellular memory kicking in. But I do agree, and what I want to work on is, you know, how do we manage our triggers, right? How do I manage my own triggers for, for effectiveness, for humanity, my own humanity, the taking care of myself, and, and most important, continue my leadership in this space. Um, I had an uh, opportunity to, to live through that this, this spring, summer. I went back to Cuba um, after 49 years. And uh, really, ha and I came in as a Cuban national, not as an American citizen. Long story. We left before 1970, so I'm still considered anti-revolutionary. And it was almost like a, a dress rehearsal to what we're going on today because I found myself really having to hold my tongue and really look at my triggers on uh, when the system doesn't agree with it, so much of what I hear you know, Michelle bring, bring up, uh, when I'm looking at it from an institutionalized place and now I have the person in front of me that's manifesting everything that uh, we're talking about. So I, I definitely uh, invite, you know, my brothers and sisters and, and folks that are to, to really explore the, um, the triggers and, and uh, be easy with yourself. Uh, I agree with the language and the deconstruction of language um, and even do we need new language or how do we get ahead of the language? The alternate right, alternate left, I'm not sure that that's, that's helping as an example. Uh, I continue to do this work and my determination, tenacity um, comes, you know, I have two uh, African-American and Cuban uh, young adults that I'm, I fear. I fear for them, their relationships and who they date, how they've seen and whatnot, based on what we're here to, you know, what we're seeing today. Uh, but it also um, empowers me. It also gives me gives me hope because that's the group that conscious, um, whether it's the conscious leader in in the business world or the conscious young young people that are looking at these these issues and really wanting to make a, a difference. Um, and coming to us, who were born in the 60s and uh, got here to a country to understand the, the history, I don't want it repeated again. So my determination is how do I work with them? How do we learn together and, and, uh, and keep, corny as it might sound, keep that hope alive for, for humanity and coming together on these times. Thank you, Simma, for this. Thank you. And we do have to keep that hope alive because you know what? It's not going to happen overnight. We have to be, we are in the process, we have to stay in the process, and we have to bring more people into the process, just like you said. And we, have to, we do have work to do, and we can't shy away from it. You know what's amazing to me is it's only been, what, seven months? Uh, at least of this iteration of ism. I would say 
when I hear conversations around social justice, sometimes what I hear is we need the young people. But I would say if you are young at heart out there, if you're an elder, we mm-hmm. need you to we need you to come and share your knowledge and your wisdom. We need you yeah. to also share That's your fair. history. And I also think there's a danger that some of this stuff is becoming normalized. Mm-hmm. There's a part of me, some of that would love to go to this rally and you know, blow kisses or serenade them with song or maybe mm-hmm. dress up in a clown suit just because I know that they're trying to get a reaction. Mm-hmm. But they've caused too much injury. And I also don't want to make this seem cute. Like the, the whole presidential tweet thing. Isn't it interesting how that's become normal? Like, okay, the president is going to say something idiotic. He's going to tweet it out. He's not going to understand the consequences globally, and that's okay. No, it's not okay. Uh, The fact that someone can be so bombastic that that's okay. And that's my concern, and that's why I think we do have to continue to resist because these things are not normal. They are not healthy. My partner is from Russia, and he said to me, Things that he's seen now here in the United States are reminiscent of what he has seen in Russia under Putin. And that should be a chilling thought. I have talked to colleagues who used to be Black Panthers who say that it is worse in many respects now than it was then. 